The Leach Report Radio Network is on the air across Kentucky with the voice of the Wildcats, Tom Leach. This is your chance to get the latest news and views on your cats. The show is served up by Wild Eggs of Lexington. And you can interact with Tom by tweeting at Leach Report or by emailing leachreport at gmail.com. And you can call the drinksword.com hotline, 877-904-1080. Now, here's Tom Leach. Vic Gabriel sitting in for the voice of the Wildcats. Good morning to you. And, of course, this is a busy, busy weekend for Tom, who will be calling the action tomorrow night. When the U.K. Wildcats play basketball, they will uh, play their second and final exhibition. And then on Saturday night, it's Kentucky-Tennessee Wildcats with a huge football game, which, you know, when the season began, you looked at the schedule, and then you saw Tennessee not playing too well early in the year, and you thought, well, and Kentucky was, of course, undefeated. You're thinking, man, this could be two in a year, two straight, uh, two years in a row. I'll get it. Uh, for Kentucky over Tennessee, but lately, of course, the Cats have struggled, and Tennessee has really found itself. We will talk about that later today in the show with Justin Rowland of Cats Illustrated. We'll also talk basketball with him and with Mike Pratt, the uh, color analyst for the U.K. Basketball Network, and Mark Story of the Herald-Leader will join us as well. So lots of football and basketball chatter this morning. Time for Wildcat News of the Day brought to you by Giuseppe's. Check out their new climate-controlled patio and the dry through window for orders to go. We mentioned the UK men will be playing basketball. The women play tonight. They host Lee University in their only exhibition game of the season. They'll play at 7 o'clock against uh, Lee in Memorial Coliseum. That'll be on the UK radio network. Darren Hedrick will have the action as Kyra Elsie's team takes the court tonight. Minus, of course, Blair Green, who is... uh, sideline for the season with that devastating knee injury, and they'll just have to find a way to uh, make up her leadership and her outside shooting. Big night for the U.K. volleyball team heading south to Columbia, South Carolina for a two-match series against the South Carolina Gamecocks, which begins tonight, 7 o'clock. Those are on SEC Network Plus, ESPN3, and the ESPN app. The Wildcats, of course, undefeated in league play at 9-0. and They have won a season-high 10 consecutive matches dating back to the 19th, September 19th win over Stanford. That was such a huge match for the Wildcats, and uh, they really found themselves that night still looking, of course, for a fifth consecutive SEC championship. They lead the series with South Carolina 39-18 to because they've won the last 14 straight matches dating back to 2010. In fact, they've won 13 consecutive sets over USC. So the Wildcats in action tonight down in Columbia. Another honor for Jensen Castle, the U.K. women's golfer. What a year she's had. She's been named the 2021 Kentucky Golf Association Women's Player of the Year. Uh, She is the first player from U.K. to win the award, which began back in 2017. And, of course, this is all stemming from she's had a great year. The the zenith of it, of course, is her uh, championship run at the U.S. Women's Amateur. So another trophy for her trophy case. You can find links to these stories on the Bud Light Leach Report page at TomLeachKY.com. And when we come back, Mike Pratt will join us. We'll preview the upcoming exhibition game for the Basketball Cats here on 
The Leach Report coming to you from the Clark's Pumpkin Shop Studio, served up by Wild Eggs of Lexington. It's the Leach Report on Talk Radio 1080. Tweet us at Leach Report or email leachreport at gmail.com. Dick Gabriel in for the voice of the Wildcats, who, of course, will call the action tomorrow night as Kentucky takes on Miles College and sitting right next to him. As always, will be color analyst Mike Pratt. He is on the line with us this morning. Good morning, Coach. How are you? I'm doing good, Gabe. You? We are well, thank you so much, and uh, we got to remind you that uh, the segments with Mike Pratt are brought to you by Boone's Butcher Shop in Bardstown. Mike, we talked on my show before the last exhibition game, you talked about what you'd be looking for and what John Calipari would be looking for, and I've, of course you, you talked about what you saw in the wrap-up, but uh, going into this one, what would you like to see from the Wildcats that maybe you didn't see last week? Well, I think that, um, you know, they showed a lot of energy, a lot of effort. I'd uh, like to see better defense, not only interior defense, but out front on the ball. Pressuring the ball, keep it out of the paint. This is a team that likes to drive it and can drive it. And, um, you know, they're, um, I, I guess, a uh, Division three or NAIA. And uh, they don't have back-to-the-basket guys. But they can get to the paint and they can do some things. So that's going to cause some problems. I, I'm looking at the defensive adjustments and effort that uh, Kentucky may make. Did you like what you saw on the boards? Because I've, obviously uh, Oscar Shebway, uh was, I mean, 5-5. Five and five, uh, But I know he had some one-handed rebounds. But otherwise, as a team, they pulled down 29 uh, Bryce Hopkins did pull down five rebounds, but I, I know that uh, that's that's an effort category. Yes, it is. Um, and uh, Hopkins will give you an effort. He uh, has a ways to go with uh, his offense. Uh, those that that skill set, he can shoot it. But I mean, uh, when you make a play with the ball, when to pull up and shoot your shot, when to take it all the way without charging, all those things uh, for Hopkins, he can grow. But his effort, particularly at the defensive end, and even more so than that, I think, uh, Gabe, on the glass is going to be important. The other thing I would like to see, Damian Collins uh, showed us he can shoot the ball from the outside, and we've heard all about his ability to to block shots and kind of be a rim protector. I want to see more of that. I want to see him defensively inside, uh, and that may be a piece of the puzzle Calipari's talking about, his his interior defense, um, and he's a guy with those long arms and springs for legs that could really, uh, really be the key to that. Two rebounds in 22 minutes and three fouls, Mike. So he's got a lot to learn, yep. doesn't he? He does. He does. And you know, nobody said he was Anthony Davis, or at least I didn't read or or think he was Anthony Davis. And because we really didn't know who Anthony Davis was when he got there, right? And he really Absolutely. blossomed. So. Collins has got a chance to up his game over the first couple months and find out if he uh, can really play in a college basketball environment and go from there. So uh, I'm, I'm looking for big strides from him early in the season. Keon Brooks with 18 and 8. And I may be more surprised, Mike, by the way he got his 18 points than his 8 rebounds. He is a, a physical player, but, uh, man, three, 4 of 6 from 3-point land? I don't know if anybody expected that. Is this... 
do you think going to be part of his role for this year? Well, I think he's going to be able to shoot the ball when he's given an opportunity. I, I think that uh, last year to, to get uh, ping touches on a consistent basis and then kick for the shooters was tough for that yeah. team last year. And this year, I think with Wheeler and, and Ty Ty Washington, they can get the paint touches. Uh, Davion Mintz can also. So there's going to be a lot of opportunities for Keon and others to space out the floor, be ready for the pass, and knock it down. I, I really was uh, was pleased with what I saw from Keon from the perimeter. Oh, yeah, absolutely. What did you think of uh, Severe Wheeler's stat line? Ten points, six assists, three rebounds, and maybe most importantly, only one turnover, all of this in 23 minutes. Yeah, I think before it's all said and done, I think we'll see that the turnovers are the most important thing to John Calipari. Um, I mean, you just you just can't cough it up in this day and age at a high level. And uh, one turnover is pretty good, really good. And um, I like to see that keep on going. Uh, I like to see him knock down the jumper a little more consistently, but it's a it's a long season. He can get it, but his ability to to touch the paint and share the ball, not just give it up. I mean, he he's got the knack to find the right guy at the right time. It really, really is. I saw that at Georgia. He just didn't have enough guys around him yeah. down there yeah. to make shots. And he'll give you the ball as as you're ready to go do something with it, not after the fact. I may have saved the most dynamic for last, but Ty Ty Washington had a team high 25 minutes, 7 of 9 from the floor, 18 points, one turnover in 25 minutes, Mike, and a couple of assists. And I know he was turning some heads at a – at a point, uh, what did you see? Oh, listen, uh, he, he's going to be fun to watch. Um, really, really fun to watch. And not only is the, is the young fella talented, um, he can he can score three levels. He scored from deep beyond the, the three-point line. He can make his way to the paint, a little runner. And he can finish at the rim. I mean, he, he's, he can really score the ball and shoot the ball, not just a scorer but a shooter. Uh, and he, he's fun to watch because – He's emotionless. I mean, he just plays. No jumping around, no pointing fingers, no any of that stuff. He He's just like he's like an assassin. And he comes in, gets his job done, and, and goes home, right? And that's what he does. I mean, he just gets his job done. And he's going to make mistakes, but I really like his upside. I think he's going to have a terrific year. I see guys like that, and I think he's very professional, you know, which, which – in this day, the NIL might be you know be construed in a different way, but yeah, I'm with you. You know, when guys can get the job done without trying to draw additional attention to themselves, that's somebody who I think will end up being a pretty good leader as well for this team. Yeah, I think I may have used the wrong word. You used the right word, professionalism. Uh, but he, he's gonna gonna be able to play. He's gonna be able to. I think he's gonna deliver for Kentucky. I, yeah, I think that's gonna be one of his. Uh, his keys is he can deliver when when you need a shot, whether it's the end of the game, whenever, to, to quiet a rally by the opponents. I think that um, this kid can do it. But the leader, I just I don't know, Gabe, but I think the leaders of this team are going to be Keon Brooks and Davion Mintz. Not I just think guys. that uh, something in me tells, uh, tells me those two guys 
Calipari's going to lean on. They're experienced, and and uh, they can play. So they got the whole package to be the, the leader, whether it's a quiet leader or a vocal leader. Got about thirty seconds, Mike. You uh, grew up as a Kentucky uh, Wildcat, hating Tennessee. That was the rival. That's the big game this weekend, and this is a huge football game, isn't it? And I know you love football. it. Is it is it is huge, uh, Gabe, and it always has been. Now that when we got on a bad losing streak, that kind of took a little edge off it. But I think there's an edge to this game now, um, and I like that. And I like that Rick Barnes has brought Tennessee basketball back. Yep. and done such a great job to make that rivalry now very edgy. So I'm looking forward to, to Saturday's game. And we're looking forward to Friday's game, and Mike calls it the action with Tom Leach right here. And uh, we appreciate it, sir. We will see you at Rupp Arena. You got it, Gabe. Have fun. Have a good one. And we will be back in just a few. It's the Leach Report coming to you from the Clark's Pump and Shop Studio. This is the Leach Report on Talk Radio 1080. You can follow Tom on Twitter. It's at Tom Leach KY. Nick Gabriel in for the voice of the Wildcats. Coming to you from Clark's Pump and Shop Studio. And a reminder, of course, the Leach Report served up by Wild Eggs of Lexington. Justin Rowland of Cats Illustrated joins us now. He is the publisher, part of the Rivals Network. Good morning, sir. Morning, Dick. How are you doing? I'm well, thank you so much. And in your latest posting, you've got some fairly good news for Wildcat fans about a wide receiver who is looking closely at a transfer to Kentucky. Yeah, that's right. Taj Harris is. Uh, he was going to go down as one of Syracuse's all-time leading receivers. And you know, if you got a good memory, you know Syracuse got had some pretty good receivers in its history. And uh, he's going to be visiting Kentucky this weekend. And I think they're in the best shape. I think they got a chance to, to hammer it out and make it happen. And, uh, you know, replacing Josh Ali and probably, I would say, Wandale Robinson next year, they've got to have to recycle that receiving room again. And uh, he's going to be very important. I, th- I think they'll get him. You know, you're exactly right about the personnel there. And yet, those are just those are the only two names that we hear and the only two players we see making plays. You've got to think that if if there's anybody in that room right now who's going to make a difference next year, we'd be hearing a little bit about them right now. How great a concern is that, or do, do, should people just relax and wait for next year to see these young guys? Well, look, I, I think between the last two games, Georgia and Mississippi State, Will Levis has targeted Wandale 30 times. I mean, that's a lot. It's like yeah. 17 against Georgia and 13 against Mississippi State, and I get it. You know, you're trying to put your playmakers in a position to give you a chance to win the game, but it does tell you something. I do think Demarcus Harris has come on a little bit strong. Uh, I think that's hopeful. They get Cleavon Thomas back next year, and you hope that Christian Lewis and Dick L. Crowdis, Chauncey Magwood, uh, Dane Key, Maybe you get Barry and Brown as well. Yeah. You hope that those young receivers are ready. But, yeah, I don't I don't know that they would be done with the portal, even if they do get Taj Harris. They might want more experienced help. you got to wonder, has any coach ever done with a portal? Uh, so, yeah, that, that bears keeping an eye on. Uh, when we talk, we've talked about receiving and passing, but I know you expect – you don't expect to see the air filled with football Saturday night, do you? <laughs> no, no. I think, I think that Mark Stoops is going to go back – to the basics and it's going to be similar to 
the 2017 game or so when Steven Johnson went hurtling into the end zone and, and Kentucky won 29 to 26, I just think that they got to get back to their identity. Fumbles or not with, with Chris Rodriguez, if he's not running 25 times, then you're kind of in an identity crisis because they're not a drop back passing team. Got to be play action between the tackles, run right at them. And Tennessee's defense has been more vulnerable than Georgia's and Mississippi State. So that's the hope. But it gets out to a great start, Tennessee, and I, I got to think that you believe, Justin, like like most of us, that that first quarter is going to be vital for the Kentucky defense. Yeah, I, I noticed uh, fifteen point seven points per game in the first quarter, and a couple of times to three. Uh, you just got to survive that first punch, and if you do, you know, I think you got a good shot because of their record in one possession games. If it's close. I like Kentucky's chances, but that first quarter, I think everybody's going to be on the, on the edge of their seat. You referred to Chris Rodriguez, and at one point you said, I think you just have to live with the fumbles. And, and you know, he, he did that as a freshman, then it wasn't a problem. He did it early in the year, then it wasn't a problem. And now it's back, although Mark Stoops, you know, with some cryptic comments about a, an issue that Chris has been dealing with, uh, do you expect to see him back to his old self, or what do you think? I think he'll get back on track. He's an experienced player in the SEC, the SEC's leading rusher. After he had those four fumbles in the span of two games earlier this year, he kind of put it behind him for a little while. I just think, you know, if if he's not running, we've seen that the product is not great on offense. But if he is running and he's running well, then they can be a top 15 kind of team. And I think it really all hinges on getting him on track early. They didn't get him on track early in this last game against Mississippi State. He wasn't ready when he, he did go in, but mm-hmm. I just think it's a tone setter uh, for him early and often. What do you think of the way he's caught the ball and the few times they have thrown to him? I, th- I think it's been a nice showcase. Um, coming into this year, he was really a total unknown. They would always throw to Smoke and Rose and those other guys, and the fact that they didn't throw to C-Rod made me think maybe this is a real problem for him, but He's caught pretty much everything that's gone his way, to my recollection. He's shown a little juice and able to make guys miss in the open field. So I think it, it's helped his stock in that respect. The fumbling is really the only thing that's keeping it back at this point. Yeah, and I seem to recall a couple of times he's actually caught some passes that weren't exactly easy to catch. Right. Right himself and, and turned them into a few more yards. So maybe we see a little bit of that. But I'm with you. I think I think it's ground and pound by both teams, especially early in the game. And uh, yeah, it's going to be a test of wills. More coming up with Justin Rowland of Cats Illustrated when we come back here on the Leach Report. It's the Leach Report on Talk Radio 1080. Tweet us at Leach Report or email leachreport at gmail.com. Nick Abraham for The Voice coming to you from the Clark's Pump and Shop studio. We're chatting with Justin Rowland from Cats Illustrated. And, uh, of course, basketball pops back up on the calendar tonight for the women, tomorrow for the men. And I know you kept an eye on things last Friday. Justin, what concern? Now, I don't know if concerns is the right word when you're talking about the first exhibition, but uh, where, where would, let's start with improvement. Where would you like to see improvement? And i got to think, along with John Calipari, uh, it's defense. I think defense is what you're looking for, um, but that's not a surprise. There have been a lot of other years when we've seen the perimeter defense have to improve from early in the season. You know, the John Wall team, the first Calipari team, you know, there were a lot of games that were closer than they should have been because guys were just knocking down a bunch of shots against them. And so I, I do think that was a question coming into this year. You always knew 
Yeah, they were going to be a good offensive team. The question was, how good are they going to be defensively? Are they going to be okay? Or are they going to be really good um, just because of the personnel? So that's a question. The other would be, what are they going to do when Oscar's out of the game? Because um, I, I think it's just a very different team when he's out. You know, they, they went with Ware and Brooks last time, but we're not really learning anything about that front line beyond Oscar against these teams because they're not able to test them in the front court the way that some later teams will do very soon. Mike Pratt was telling us he'd like to see more defense and rebounding from Damian Collins. How much do you think we can expect? He's not he's tall, but he's not big. How much do you think they can expect from him? Yeah, I, I just don't. I don't know. I mean, it's not like Calipari in some of his earlier comments was convincing him to go more around the rim, but we yeah. saw him floating around the perimeter a lot. And so that'll be a process, and I'm sure we'll see more of him inside at this point. But, you know, he, he has the look of a different player than somebody who's going to chip in a lot of rebounds and, and that kind of work, different than Isaiah Jackson for sure. Tell me about Ty Ty and what you saw, and i got to think you liked what you saw. He just doesn't look like a freshman. I mean, he looks so mature. He was really peaking as a high school prospect. And, you know, I think I think the intriguing thing about him is he's got some qualities like Brandon Knight or uh, SGA and, and these really smooth scoring guards who can just score at every level. Uh, but I don't know that he's going to have the same growing pains that some of these guys have because he just looks like kind of sophomore quickly in terms of how poised and composed and he doesn't get sped up. He controls the tempo well. I just thought he was super impressive. A lot of fun to watch, isn't he? He is, yeah. He's, <laughs> and I think he's the guy who's got to be the star, you know. Yeah. Maybe that's overplayed. You know, like good players, that's mm-hmm. enough. But I think he can be the star. He's probably surely going to be the leading scorer, right there. Yeah, well, he certainly was last Friday. But Keon Brooks scoring uh, was a pleasant surprise. Not that he got 18, Justin, but that he threw in four out of six from the three-point arc. Mm-hmm. Is, do you think that's going to be a big part of his role this year? You know, he was taking, he and Collins were taking some threes, and I think we'll see some of that in the regular season, but I think gradually those shots are going to um, make their way to, to guys with more of a reputation for them. But it's good for his pro stock eventually to show that he can hit that shot because I think aside from consistency, the thing for Keon is proving can he be a versatile player rather than a tweener? Right. Because he's not an inside guy, he's not a perimeter guy, but if he can do a little bit of both well, then he becomes uh, a versatile player. And, you know, I think he's got the inside track for a starting lineup spot, and it's going to be about consistency. Well, the NBA is is so much more of a 3-and-D now league. It has been evolving that way for quite some time. But college basketball appears to be evolving the same way, doesn't it? Sure does. Yep, it sure does. you got to be able to hit those shots. And he can defend multiple positions. And what I always like about him is he's very quick. Um, as a rebounder and getting to a lot of 50-50 balls, especially down the stretch in some, some pretty pressure situations. He's, he's made a lot of plays, and if he can just do that week in, week out throughout the season and not have those games where he just disappears or commits three fouls and doesn't do much, then, then I think that's the next step for him. I know people are going to get anxious about Dante Allen. They want to see him. You know, he's a great shooter, one for four. Uh, the other night, two out of six over, only played ten minutes. Uh, is is he going to even be a factor this year? Because uh, it might even be tougher, I think, this year, Justin, for him to find minutes than it was last year. Yeah, well, last year it was just such a bad offensive team. It was really a perfect storm to give him a shot. 
and it took all of that for Calipari to kind of let his guard down and maybe play an offense first player who's not as accomplished on defense. And now the question for him is with Mintz and with Ty Ty and with Grady and with Frederick eventually, um, these guys are shooters with more of a track record and some of whom maybe are able to do more things and stuff the stat sheet in other ways. Um, what's the need for a specialist three-point shooter? But, you know, you just got to wait for your opportunity. He, he waited last year, and he just lit up Mississippi State twice, and maybe it'll come again this year. Boy, Mintz with a big night. Grady was okay. They both played 24 minutes. Mintz shot the ball well, uh, four rebounds, six assists. He's making a bid. You know, hey, don't forget about us old guys, you know, even though you got some good youngsters. I came away feeling like he's one of their best five players. He might even be one of their best three players. Wow. He just plays so hard. And I don't think backcourt defense was really the problem for last year's team. I thought he was a better defender than I expected. And, you know, he, he just pushes the tempo. I think Cal's eventually going to want to push the tempo a little bit more with this team. And Mintz, um, I mean, he was on the giving in of a couple of, of alley-oops. He, he's going hit to hit, hit shots and he was always such a he was always so willing to take the big shot last year. And that that's a question this year. Who's he gonna be? Yeah. Who's gonna take the shot in the clutch? And Mint never shied away from that. So right. so I see eventually maybe a three guard lineup even yep. with Wheeler and he and I Ty Ty could be intriguing. I was gonna bring up, yeah, you gotta have Wheeler on the floor at least for a bunch of minutes. And uh he kinda makes things go, doesn't he? Yeah, he unlocks the shooting potential of the team, I think. But yeah. I thought he was a little sloppy in the opener. But it wasn't it wasn't enough to be a concern as to, you know, is is this really the SEC's assist leader last year? But I think he'll get more crisp, and he really unlocks all all that potential outside just hitting open shooters. Yeah, and teammates have to learn him as well. You mentioned John Wall, and if you recall, that was a problem early. He was... Kids had never played with a guy like John Wall, so they had to learn him and vice versa. But once they did, man, that was fun. Justin Rowland, always fun to chat with you. Have a great weekend covering both Kentucky football and basketball. Don't forget, Cats Illustrated can be yours for uh, less than $10 a month, so check it out, catsillustrated.com. Thank you, brother. Thanks, Dick. Have a good one. And when we come back, Mark Story of the Herald-Leader and Kentucky.com will join us here on the Leach Report, served up by... Wild Eggs of This is the Leach Report on Talk Radio 1080. You can follow Tom on Twitter. It's at Tom Leach KY. Dick Gabriel in for the voice of the Wildcats. Coming to you from Clark's Pump and Shop Studio, and we welcome Mark Story at Herald Leader and Kentucky.com. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Dick. You are, as I am, a Kentucky native, and when you were young, it was Tennessee and Kentucky, not Louisville and Kentucky. But uh, the Tennessee game coming up Saturday night, Mark, which looked like a manageable game a few weeks ago, now looms incredibly large for this Kentucky football team. Uh, How surprised are you by the way this storyline has kind of unfolded? Well... I think Tennessee is benefiting somewhat from low expectations. I think they've played better than people expected. I don't know that they've beaten a good team. So I you know, I think this is a team Kentucky can beat, but Kentucky, you know, I think in a lot of ways Kentucky needs to worry about Kentucky. Kentucky needs to play better. Um, you know, the um the other thing that interests me about this, you know, I think the defense carried UK through the middle part of the season. Yes. But you may be going into this game without three of 
basically your starting front seven. You know, you know Octavius Oxendine's out if Mark Quan McCall and Jordan Wright are also out. I mean, you're down three starters, you know, really three of your, your front four when, you know, Wright lines up as the rush end. So that means to me that the offense has got to step up. And you, know, you I think one of the, the conventional wisdom was when you're putting in a new offense, that it would you know pick up in the second half of the season. Well, that obviously didn't happen in Starkville, but it needs to happen this week. Yeah, you're right. The defense carried this team two or three weeks running and was getting a lot of notice because of that, but injuries are piling up. Plus, Mississippi State basically exposed Kentucky. You mentioned the, the lack of depth now because of the injuries up front, but uh, Kentucky's cornerbacks had a hard time tackling and the, and the back seven is going to have to tackle in space again Saturday night. Right. I, mean, I was watching the Brad White uh, media availability yesterday, and, and Brad made, you know, as one would expect from a, a coach and a good coach, he made the salient point that if you look at the Kentucky-Mississippi State game from, you know, last year when Kentucky, you know, held state without a touchdown and intercepted six passes, the biggest difference was tackling. Yeah, you know, Kentucky. When State would complete a pass, there was there were there was not only a Kentucky defender there. There was usually multiple, and they would hit the guy immediately. And you know, and that that obviously was not what was happening uh, Saturday night in Starkville. And yeah. I think you give Mississippi State you know some of that credit, but I think part of it was Kentucky for whatever reason. It just threw in kind of a clunker, and uh, it's important uh, to pull out of that and not let that become a uh, kind of a season-defining or second half of the season-defining trend. You know, I agree with you about Tennessee's resume in terms of its wins, but its most impressive performance might be marked those first three quarters against Alabama. That was a game going into the fourth quarter. Kind of fell apart there, but... Uh, I felt like Tennessee, the Vols were a little full of themselves and, and playing well against Alabama. So, uh, you know, they, they're, they're just thin on defense. You know, if Kentucky runs the ball uh, effectively, maybe it keeps the Tennessee offense off the field. Yeah, I think it's beyond crucial for Kentucky to get its running game reestablished. And you know, one, one thing with an up-tempo offense is, Keep it off the field mm-hmm. and, and and sort of disrupt the rhythm. And you know, while Mississippi State's offense is very different than what Tennessee runs, that was one thing Kentucky obviously failed to do. But but yeah, you know, you, you go into this game, you're kind of your key offensive cogs. You know, Chris Rodriguez, Will Levis, the Big Blue Wall. They all need to feel like they have something to prove because you know they 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 you know they just didn't really play very well in Starkville, and it would be nice for, from the U.K. perspective to see them have a big bounce-back effort. I don't know how you feel as a journalist about what goes on in a situation as such as we have with, with Chris Rodriguez. I understand how coaches uh, vary when it comes to how they deal with injuries. You know, As you know, Rich Brooks used to just start off every media gathering with injury info, but as he pointed out when he first got here, that's just kind of left over from his days in the NFL. Mark Stoops is different. A lot of coaches are. But in terms of a kid dealing with a personal issue, um, I, I get that, Mark, and I'm okay uh, if, if they deal with You know, he said he, he was dealing with an issue. And I didn't take that to mean an injury, although then Mark talked about how tough it is in practice at times physically. So that was kind of confusing, but... Uh, what's your take on on what has been happening with Chris Rodriguez? 
Well, I think that's a great mystery. Now, I took from what Mark said that there had been some kind of, he'd been shaken up in practice was what I inferred. Mm-hmm. One of the problems with how, you know, they've, with how he has handled that is, you know, it's just left an awful lot up for interpretation, exactly. which, you know, you know, allows bad information or, you know, you put people in a position where they're sort of guessing what's going on. A lot of people, you know, they may or may not guess right. So, it's 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 kind of a hard situation to to comment upon. I do think there's a pretty good chance when we get to the end of this season, we're going to find out that there was some kind of physical problem with Christopher Rodriguez that was leading to some of the fumbling or the ball security issues. You know, it's interesting. To my knowledge, he, for whatever reason, has not started two games, Chattanooga and Mississippi State. And, you know, those were probably the two worst Kentucky performances. Yeah. I think it's just... You know, assuming he's physically and you know is you know capable of playing, you know I think it's incredibly important to get him started and get him rolling because I just think the team sort of feeds off you know kind of you know him running behind the big blue wall and sort of imposing its will. And then you know again, if everybody's you know good to go, they need to get back to that. Getting a good start may never be more important this year, based on the way Tennessee gets out of the blocks. Uh, you know, I think getting, especially with the Kentucky defense, getting that good start uh, obviously is vital, isn't it? It is. I mean, Tennessee, if you look at their, you know, season production, a lot of their offensive production comes early in games. Yeah. I think their tempo is so high it usually takes teams time to sort of adjust. But, yeah, it's, you know, I, I mean, it's more important, I think, in this game to get off to a good start for Kentucky than just about any game you know, any setup to a game that I, I remember. I mean, just, A, you're coming off a bad performance and you want to, you know, quickly, you know, sort of turn the page on that. Mm-hmm. And, B, you know, Tennessee usually, you know, plays well early in games. So if you could negate that, you've taken a, well, at least on paper or in theory, you've taken a big step toward a, perhaps winning that game. It's going to be chilly. Uh, it's a night game, as you know, but... They're back home. It seems like forever since Kentucky has played at home. The Kentucky fan base, and it's a sellout, although I don't know about you, Mark, I don't think it's going to be uh, jammed because I think the weather may fool uh, or uh, scare a few people off. But uh, the Kentucky fan base may have a lot to say about how this game is played. And that's that's kind of a – I won't say it's new for the Kentucky fans. They've done it before. But it seems to be an evolving element of U.K. football right now. Yeah, Kentucky's home crowds for the important games this year have been incredible. I mean, it was a great crowd for the Missouri game, and then you know the Florida game. You know, obviously, oh. there's no way to prove this, but I thought it was probably the best sustained UK home crowd in terms of just being engaged and impacting the the, the on the field uh, play that I've ever seen it at that venue. And then the LSU crowd was was you know yep. was hyped too. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, coming off, you know, two losses now, if the crowd, you know, if, if they come in with kind of the same intensity, because I, I think you're right. I think it's been, you know, the best Kentucky home field advantage in the big games. You know, I don't know that I've ever seen it better. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Uh, I got about a minute left, but uh, they have banned 25 people uh, forever, apparently, or so they say, from. Nayland Stadium football games there after what happened with that Ole Miss debacle. Is that enough, do you think? I mean, because wasn't it amazing there wasn't a single flag thrown during that mess? 
Yeah, that's what was weird about that whole thing was was that the the game officials really didn't do you know that well other than stopping play they didn't really penalize Tennessee yeah. and it almost seemed like they were going to benefit because it's you know they stood around for what, what was it twenty five minutes yep. uh-huh. and then Ole Miss had a kind of a crucial series to try to run out the clock and couldn't do it and seemed like they'd sort of gone stale and, it, and Tennessee came very close to benefiting from what happened and the thing that i'm always curious about with these you know stadium bands how do you enforce that yes exactly put up posters you know hey if you see this person turn them back no (laughs) so anyhow well mark story we thank you so much and i know you'll be there when the wildcats take on the tennessee volunteers saturday night have a good one and stay warm thanks dick appreciate it all right and when we come back we'll wrap up this edition of the leash report served up by wild eggs of lexus Thanks again to our guests this morning, Justin Rowland, Mike Pratt, and Mark Story. And on this day in U.K. football history, four years ago, it was a big, big moment in Commonwealth Stadium. The Wildcats upset Georgia 24-20, to and the goalpost came down for just the second time in stadium history. Remember uh, when Kentucky beat Alabama with Tim Couch, they came down. Trevard Lindley picked off a pass. Uh, that clinched the victory. Uh, the Wildcats made all kinds of plays all day long. Trevard went on to be named the SEC Freshman of the Week. And the quarterback who threw that pass under pressure was a young guy named Matthew Stafford. who went on to a pretty good career at Georgia and is having a lot of fun right now in the National Football League. And Trevard is back in the Bluegrass coaching high school football right now. But that was a huge game. It sent Kentucky to its first bowl game under Rich Brooks, and of course that was the Music City Bowl, which the Wildcats went on to win later that year, beginning of an eight-game winning streak at Commonwealth, tied for the longest win streak in Commonwealth Stadium history. That's going to do it. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much, as always, to Shannon the Dude for his help this morning. He and Billy Rutledge are up next on most of these same stations. Have a great day, everybody. for listening to the leach report make sure you check out the podcast page at tomleachky.com